Hello and welcome once again to episode 61 of Code Completion. It's currently the holidays, so we figured we'd do better than last year, where we completely spazzed and did not release anything for a few months, uh, and record a few smaller episodes to tide us over uh, until 2022. Um, once again, my name is Dimitri, and today I'm joined by Spencer. Hey there. Uh, so for our, uh, f- since this is the holidays, like I'm, I'm in complete holiday garb with the, <laughs> the usual Christmas sweater t-shirt where we have a cat laser laser burning a bunch of Christmas sweaters. That's my, that's my holiday spirit. So if you see me for three episodes in a row wearing the same shirt, it's not because I didn't change my shirt. It's because we're recording the same day. Um, and uh, for our first uh, episode, uh, I figured it would be cool to talk about uh, web development a little bit because as app developers, it's kind of different. Um, and a lot of people that uh, we specifically taught at like Lambda didn't necessarily have like a web development background. Um, and that may seem like a, a completely different world that's like impossible to dive into. Um, while some did have a web development background and like app development was completely different for them. So uh, we figure probably the same with our listeners and it'd be interesting to kind of talk about uh, the differences. So uh, Spencer, in three words or less, what is web development? <laughs> you can use more than three words. I don't know why I limited you there. It's not native. <laughs> native, ouch. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Well, okay. So we, we, I think a really interesting thing is there are so many different languages, right? And so we're all kind of uh, cloistered in the realm of uh, Apple devices just by virtue of using Objective-C and Swift. Or if you're using, uh, you know, if you're writing Android apps, then you're using Java or Kotlin, where Java is a little bit more uh, extensive in kind of its reach and what you can do with it. But we're all cloistered into these different languages. And so, like you said, it might be, it might feel a little... Um, out of reach for you to kind of even know or understand what's going on. But ultimately, um, yeah, web development is just making software just for the web, right? And there's kind of two uh, parts to that, I'd I'd say, where you've got like the front end, which would be like the visual part, the website, the thing that, you know, users of a website will interact with. But then you've also got uh, the back end, which would be something like... um, a REST API or some database or something going on behind the scenes that maybe uh, the website is interacting with, or it's just maybe something that's uh, sitting on a server somewhere for you as a developer of your iOS app to interact with. And so you've kind of got, uh, I guess, these two, these divisions of web development, if that makes sense. You've kind of got front end and back end as uh, the two, I, I guess, main uh, categories, I guess you could yeah, call so it. Yes, different components, right? Components, sure. And even even front-end is, um, as you described it, kind of developing for a web browser as a device. Um, mm-hmm. Even that has a lot of different, um, uh, how would I say, like uh, proficiencies where uh, sure. you can go ahead, like there's, there's not just like one language that you're using to kind of construct everything that you see when you see a website. Um, there's actually three uh, main ones at the very least, uh, and many more that can be compiled into those three. So um, instead of compiling something into code that you know, like your computer would just run directly, which is what native development is, uh, you have an intermediate language that the web browser will go ahead and interpret 
um, and do something with. So uh, the first of which uh, is probably the most uh, famous is HTML. Uh, and right. HTML is what will build up the website as just like a view. So if you were to imagine what uh, whatever is in the web browser as a view, um, you can build up that view using a bunch of different uh, tags, as they're called in HTML, which have those like angle brackets. So if you've ever edited any sort of comment a field and they said you're not allowed to use these uh, angle brackets, uh, it's because that makes up HTML and there's a, a long history of people abusing this uh, to go ahead and do shenanigans on websites and comment fields and things like that. Uh, though hopefully nowadays it's no longer such an issue. It's still easy to fall back into it if you roll your own kind of thing. Um, so HTML is uh, a description of what your web page should look like um, as described as a series of tags, not to unlike SwiftUI, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, you know, hypertext markup language and kind of the, the closest thing that I, at least I kind of uh, relate that to is markdown, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. sort of a similar concept where you've just got this syntax of uh, how you're going to format your Word document. Instead, it's just, you know, how to format uh, things on, on the page or yeah. I think exactly like Swift UI is, is a big one as well. Um, and mm -hmm. then you've got something like CSS, which takes that kind of uh, format and kind of organization of whatever elements you have on the screen and stylizes them. So you've actually got, you know, something that isn't just black text on a white background, but you could say, oh, well, if I've got like this header, I want it to be blue and I want it to maybe, uh, you know, be this width or whatever. And you can... Uh, sort of it's it's literally just for styling um, your um, your HTML I, what is it cascading cascading style sheets yep um, yeah so it's exactly to describe like if if HTML was nothing but the H stacks and the V stacks uh, in Swift UI where you can just like put text H stack and yeah. V stack and that's like image <laughs> that's basically it that's basically what html provides it gives you a skeleton on which to build uh everything um and that skeleton can be annotated with um various different attributes so one part of your page you can give an id to and that id can be uniquely referenced with your css to say hey this id make the text red or make it a bold or uh, give it a larger font size or position it somewhere on the page. Um, so the HTML just says what everything is. Uh, you can give things IDs or you can give things classes. So kind of like uh, it's it's kind of similar to, but also different to a class as we know it uh, from Swift. But you can go and say, oh, hey, all these different portions of the page, they all have the same class. And right. you can give the same instructions to each of those different sections. So you can go ahead and say like, hey, all the paragraphs with this class, we want to make them indented in this way. Um, all the paragraphs with that class, we want to position them in a different way kind of thing. Uh, and then the CSS, the cascading style sheets, these are really interesting because not only are you giving display instructions to different IDs, classes, or tags, uh, or what have you, you can give general instructions, and then mm -hmm. you can give more specific instructions um, the more specific you get. So you can say, hey, this whole page is going to have black text on a white background. But everything within this ID uh, is going to have uh, larger font size. 
but everything within this class is going right. to be indented uh, in this way. And then all of a sudden you have a, a, like a very small amount of instructions, but you can cascade them uh, and they combine to give you a very expressive way of designing and kind of presenting everything on screen, right? Yeah, it, it's really cool. It's honestly, CSS and HTML were nothing that I really dived into like when I was younger or anything. Um, but I did use them a, a fair amount, not a fair amount, a little bit. Uh, when I was doing uh, kind of learning about Vapor and I was, you know, Vapor is cool because it will, uh, a lot of what I do and a lot of, I think what most people will do with Vapor is more on like the backend stuff, which we'll get to, but um, it also has really nice integrations with uh, being able to use uh, CSS files and uh, HTML files, or you can even kind of write HTML um, in Swift and uh, with a few different uh, ways, one of which is one of John Sundell's packages. Um, and so my experience with CSS is a little bit sparse. Uh, however, it is really cool because like you said, with very little instruction, you can have this style sheet that uh, is very, con it can be very consistent if you have these generalized rules and you say, and I guess something that was hard for me was knowing, you know, when to put something as a class or use a specific ID or whatever, or say like all H1s are this, whereas like you have this class or anyway, I, I understand that it goes like more and more specific, but mm -hmm. if it's just, I don't think I've had enough time to really grasp it well. But mm -hmm. it is really cool what I saw uh, to be able to stylize things fairly quickly. And it's cool because it's just a web page. You can reload the web page, you know, change the CSS, save it, reload the web page, and it should just grab that style sheet and serve it to you. And you kind of see the changes more instantly, like onto Swift UI, like you mentioned. So uh, mm -hmm. it can be cool. And I'd recommend um, just checking a css file like i'm sure most people have probably seen an html file in their life but it would be cool to kind of pull up a css file for that html and kind of compare and start looking for the tags and the classes and start to see kind of where the overlap and uh the joining of the html and css kind of uh, comes together i guess if that makes sense yeah so that leads into a very like important topic is how do you get started doing web development well uh uh, everyone, it's dead simple. You create an empty text file uh, and you give it an extension of .html. Um, you have to write some HTML in there, which like almost every text editor that is dedicated to code has like a template for HTML. It's, it's that ubiquitous. Um, and once you have some HTML, you drag that file onto Safari or Brave or Chrome or Firefox or whatever, uh, and it will just load it. It will load your web page uh, as is because that's what web browsers do. They take HTML and they display it on screen. Um, and that's all you really need to do to get started. And I think it's a tremendously useful skill to have as an app developer, because guess what? You're going to need to make a website for your app. And yes, you can use things like Squarespace and stuff like that to kind of build it for you. But if you know how to do it yourself, it can take 10 minutes and you have a quick and a uh, useful web page that has the information about your app. It has some screenshots and it has a press kit uh, linked to it uh, and everything is there. And it's literally just a folder of a few files. Um, and that's all you really needed to do. You can have documentation for your app and that's, that explains how to use it. You can do a lot. Um, you can put a video in there. Like 
any YouTube video, you can just click a little button and it has Embedded. a little co- copy paste uh, HTML thing that you can just paste into your your page, and then you have a video there. Um, it's it's really that simple. So um, if you want to learn more about HTML and you have like a website that you're looking at, guess what? Uh, in Safari, you need to turn it on, but in most mm-hmm. uh, other browsers, you can just right click and say inspect element. Um, in Safari, you need to go to Safari Preferences, Advanced, Turn On, Developer Mode, and that will give you a developer menu, which is like super cool to play with. Um, but you just right-click, Inspect Element, and it will show you the HTML for the page you're currently looking at. Um, so uh, from there, you can edit like any website. It's not going to edit their copy. It's going to edit the copy that you're looking at, but you can make it say whatever you want. So if you want to make it look like you have a million bucks, uh, you can... Open up your bank's uh, thing, right click, and <laughs> change the balance to a million bucks, and send a screenshot, um, which you shouldn't do because your account number is probably in there. Uh, but uh, that's what scammers do to poor unsuspecting yes. people. Yes. They will just go ahead and uh, confuse them for a bit so they look away from the computer. They'll right click, inspect element, and change the number. Uh, it's really baffling how well that works. Uh, but it is a thing that people do, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's super simple to get into uh, into web development from that point of view. Now we talked yeah. about like the super static, like here's a website, uh, it has content. You click on a link, it loads another page, literally another HTML file. Um, right. <laughs> that worked for a long, long time, but is not what is super common and in the hip nowadays. Nowadays, everyone wants to use the, the JavaScripts uh, to <laughs> to make things faster. Uh, and by faster, I mean uh, more interactive. Faster, ah, yeah, faster. A lot of, like the reason why web pages take up hundreds of megabytes of RAM nowadays is because of JavaScript, yay! Um, but uh, that is what web development now is like. What people like seek out when they want a web developer, they don't need them for the HTML stuff. Uh, they need them for the JavaScript stuff. Um, and uh, so, Spencer, what is JavaScript? Yeah, JavaScript is out of those three uh, kind of languages that we talked about is the most like unto swift right if you're Mm -hmm. kind of an ios developer it's it's an actual programming language where you can have logic and you can have objects and kind of be able to perform uh computations right where the other two are kind of like this is what it is make this thing this is what it should look like but there's no logic behind it so when you um you know you in html or css you can't have a button that says oh, go grab, uh, you know, I don't know, go make a random number or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Even something as simple as that you you can't do. And so JavaScript kind of provides that logic behind the whatever your your web page is to actually make it sort of do something like Dimitri said, past uh, just being a static page that's served to your web browser. So it could... Mm-hmm you know, do uh, more or less anything. Yeah, you can rewrite the HTML. That's basically what people use it for. Yeah. Um, now, I want to caution everyone, uh, if especially if you're just getting into this. There are a lot of JavaScript web frameworks that you can go ahead and get into if you do not plan on making this your full-time thing, uh, meaning you just want to do a little bit so that way you can have a website for your app kind of thing or a simple portfolio, and then you don't plan on really touching it for a long time, I would ignore every single JavaScript web framework that exists because they come in and out of fashion very quickly. Very, very quickly. Yeah. Yes. And to the point where something that you looked at six months ago is no longer going to be what's hip 
and you're going to be less stranded needing to support that, especially when you don't really understand how a lot of it works. So what I would suggest is learning how vanilla JavaScript works. And vanilla JavaScript is not like a package or anything. It's just the plain JavaScript that the browser will just, any browser will go ahead and know uh, what to do with. Um, and there's a fair amount that you can get away with uh, just this. And the reason why a lot of these JavaScript web frameworks exist is because in the past, every browser would do stuff slightly differently. Um, and depending on how long ago you started doing web development, uh, you may have torn all your hairs out by then, uh, or like you may not have even noticed that it was a problem. Especially nowadays, it is no longer a problem for most common tasks. Like uh, JavaScript is fully capable of doing what you want in a way that's going to be consistent across all browsers. Um, and as long as you don't want to do something that's like too super fancy, um, you won't need to rely on things like React or jQuery or this or that. Um, so I would strongly recommend learning plain JavaScript, understanding that, and that is not going to change. That has basically stayed the same for the better part of 30 years uh, since the first web browser um, though JavaScript wasn't used in the first web browser, but it was used a few years after that as people want to start making things um, interactive. Uh, so that is my caution to anyone who's just like getting into this. If you do plan on making a career out of web development, then you need to learn all those uh, web frameworks and keep up with it, which is like the worst part, uh, which sure. basically keeps me away from uh, it past <laughs> like my own hobby projects. Um because you really don't need the crazy stuff for your everyday kind of tasks. It's only if you want to, like, for instance, what Spencer and I are using right now is a is a website called Riverside.fm, which will stream our video streams to each other and record locally and record on the cloud and make everything work so that way we can podcast. That's like a really complicated thing that you're probably not going to set off doing if you just need a website for your app. Um, right. But that requires a lot of sophistication to pull off and a lot of individual components uh, that it's just not going to be possible if you're one person um, like doing it from scratch. So uh, that's why you want might want to use something like React or not even jQuery. Who uses jQuery anymore? I really don't know. Um, like th that's like one of the first ones <laughs> or Bootstrap or there's so many. Right. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't know them anymore. Um, but, uh, there are like, if you need a if you want to get a job as a web developer, you need to learn those things so that way you understand what people are talking about with these fancy, uh, words. Um, but otherwise you can keep up with Apple's side, which constantly changes anyway. So every side is a, is a battle of constant change that you need to kind of remember. Um, so it's, it's really up to you to choose <laughs> which, which you will keep up with because as humans, we can. We are limited. Yes, indeed. Um, something I wanted to mention is um, if you, you know, JavaScript aside, and I, I agree with, with Dimitri that you should probably just like go with vanilla JavaScript and see what you can do. But if you just want to get into like HTML or CSS, and I actually think they do have stuff on JavaScript as well. Sorry, I don't know if I said Java earlier. Um, is something that helped me when I was like, how do I, you know, change the width of something or like make something span the whole web page? Cause it's just 
completely foreign to me when I was dealing with CSS was uh, w3schools.com, I think. Mm-hmm. Just super basic website of like, it's it's basically like documentation, but it will go into examples. And because it's a website, you can actually see the examples in the website and kind of interact with them. And it was, it was helpful for me. So um, that I'd recommend if you'd, you know, want to look into it or something. Yeah, the nice thing about the vanilla stuff is it is so ubiquitous and so old at this point that there are a million websites that want to profit off of helping you solve like a one line thing uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. that you will have no trouble uh, getting help um, by like not even asking for help. Just asking Google HTML center div uh, totally. and that will that will get you the answer you need really quickly. Um, and, and it will tell you, hey, this is supported on uh, Internet Explorer 6. Yes. Uh, and that's not something that you care about anymore, but that's something that people used to need to care about. That's why centering stuff is hard because like not every browser could center stuff and then you feel left out, uh, because you want to center stuff. So then you start doing using jQuery, which computes everything dynamically and makes things slow. So, uh, that's how that whole thing started. Uh, thanks right. to web browsers being different. Uh, and web browsers still are different, and you'll see that when you try to do crazy stuff that some stuff is supported in some and others in others, uh, but it's not universal. Yeah. Something that was interesting to me was like uh, fonts, for example. Like I think Safari has some fonts that like Chrome-based browsers don't or something like that where, mm-hmm. I mean, there like even there was a lot of stuff you had to do. Like you had to download this like I don't know what you call it. I think they just call it a delete or a blank or something of CSS to like kind of blank out like whatever the browser defaults the default, of yeah. CSS. It's like, oh my gosh, like, that, you know, it's not hard, but it was like, there's a lot there that maybe wasn't, isn't straightforward and not known until you do a little bit of research into like, oh, okay, so each browser has its defaults to, so to kind of like level everything out to make it mm-hmm. the same to start with, you have to... I mean, it was just this giant CSS file with, you know, changing like every little part of it. Um, And, you know, there's a lot to learn. But again, like that W3 schools, I think it's free. So I was just going on there more or less Googling, like Dimitri said, and just as opposed to Stack Overflow to find answers. And it was it was helpful. So there's a lot to learn. But at the same time with HTML and CSS, especially, it's not near as deep as a pro, like a, a real programming language because it's it's not a programming language you're not yeah you're describing something more than anything yeah yeah exactly um and that to be clear it does not mean you can't make super sophisticated stuff with html Absolutely. css i mean there's a website called codepen uh where people like to tinker mm-hmm. uh and you can make some crazy stuff using like just css and when i say just css i mean like there's the html is like one div and that's it. And then the rest is in CSS and you have this crazy animation going off. Um, yeah. Like super crazy stuff is totally possible. Um, that said, it's not super easy to do. So there are uh, other languages that are like CSS or that are like JavaScript that make things a little better and more consistent for the developer. But you need extra tools on your, your end to turn it into JavaScript and turn it into proper CSS and so on. Um, like things like variables weren't supported until recently. And I say recently past 10 years. Uh, and CSS, <laughs> it's been a while since I, since I was a web developer. Um, I actually started off doing website stuff. So, um, that, that I, it's, it's fond in my heart, but also distant because I would never want to go back. Um, kept at a distance. Yeah. Kept at a distance. Exactly. 
there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's just yeah. not something that works for me. Like I much prefer uh, the nitty gritty like native stuff um, mm -hmm. because it's it's a different set of challenges, and I enjoy those. Yeah. Um, uh, I real quick, I just wanted to go back to JavaScript. Um, mm -hmm. And Dimitri talked on, about this really quickly. Um, he said, you know, we're, with native uh, programming, we're compiling our, our code and making sure that it runs in the moment, right? Like before you even run the code, you know if you've got errors, you know if, um, I mean, you might get a crash or something, but you know, like if you misspelled a variable or something, whereas uh, with these interpretive, interpreted languages like JavaScript, uh, it's kind of running it on the fly. And so that lead can lead to a host of of issues not to say that that's a bad thing it's just it's different is all i'm trying to say um and you know javascript is a lot different than uh something like swift where it's not as it, it's a lot less type safe it's well it's not type safe. sorry yeah i mean if you want to use like typescript or something which is, makes it type safe but it's just a it's a different beast not to say that swift isn't a beast itself it's just they're different so yeah an um, array can be a string which can be a number like it is loosey-goosey as as loosey-goosey as you can get exactly um. <laughs> it's everything is any or id right so yeah um, there's a great yep. talk um like that someone did called wat uh because it makes you just say what <laughs> like you're just oh, what? you're just so confused so we'll we'll link to it because it is cool. it takes like two minutes uh but it is the absolute best talk in computer talk history uh in my opinion <laughs> um in terms of like why javascript is super crazy but for normal use like you're not really going to run into that other than like you misinterpreted a number as a string and then things got weird um totally. that that stuff happens all the time if you're not careful um but that has all been like one half of the web story um uh, and you can quite do quite a lot with just that half uh to be clear um like it's basically writing the app like if you have an app uh and it, if it talks with the server that's fine but it's still it's self composed uh, like one unit um and it might talk with the server through an api well guess what your page that you built with javascript and html and css can talk with the server in the exact same way it can make api calls um, X, I, what was it? Did, what did it used to be called? XML HTTP request or something? Uh, was the way, like the know. first way that you can make like a, a background fetch. There were also iframes. I'm, I'm dating myself at this point, so I'm just going to yeah, stop. Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> like none of these techniques are used anymore. There's like just async. Um, that's a thing now, uh, on JavaScript world for like the past 10 years. So again, <laughs> really, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but it'll still work. That's the neat thing about it. Um, but you wrote something that runs on your user's computer in their web mm -hmm. browser. Uh, right. that's one half of the story. The other half is what we like to call the back end because that's a front end, what the user sees, even though it's doing stuff. Uh, but then there's also the back end, which is what the user doesn't see. Um, and that is where you are a lot more free to do various things. Like you can use a language like PHP to literally write a page of HTML and then insert um, angle question mark some PHP code that will run on the server when the user requests that page. Um, so that's a really easy way to make all sorts of things like Facebook is written that way. Uh, although not exactly that way anymore, but it is written with PHP. Um, now that's not 
the only way to do things, you can write things in JavaScript. So you can have JavaScript write out HTML or write out an API using JSON, which is a JavaScript object notation, if I got that right. Yeah. Uh, it's just JavaScript. Like, if you want to define an object in JavaScript, that's what JSON is. You just copy paste that into its own file, and now it's a magical file for uh, communicating. <laughs> it's just a JavaScript way of describing an object. Um, yeah. It was literally the laziest thing that was possible because in JavaScript, you can say eval, open parentheses, a string, and it'll just run that code um, as JavaScript. So that's what people would do when they needed to pass an object around because, hey, you can just have that as a string and pass it to a variable, and now you have an object um, that came from somewhere else. So uh, history lesson aside, (laughs) um, you can write your backend in PHP. You can write it in uh node which is javascript uh you can write it in swift using something like vapor so you are a lot more open to pretty much do whatever you are comfortable with no one will know or question you at that point right yeah and that's that's a cool part about this is you are a lot more open and you know everything that we're using on um i mean just like this riverside for example i'm sure they have uh, probably some Amazon uh, S3 space where they're hosting our recordings and they're they're sitting there until uh, we we ask for it on this front end website and then it says okay let's go to the back end and grab that uh, that file and there's this whole database behind it uh, and all of the logic that that goes along with it and what's cool about this to me uh, coming from iOS development is. Like Dimitri said, you can use something like Vapor, which is something that I personally love. I'm super uh, happy that uh, it exists, basically. It's super fun to be able to uh, build. I mean, if again, if we think about our iOS apps or our Mac apps or whatever as the front end, uh, Vapor allows you to actually build the back end. And instead of having some... uh, uh, rest api you know uh, as a service type of thing like firebase or i forget what the one before firebase was called it's been out of commission for a while but um you know something like firebase uh you can write your own code instead of um that and kind of host it on something like heroku or DigitalOcean and have uh, it's just swift code so you can write as much logic as you want uh so you can get you know really complex you can start um, storing things on Amazon S3 through your Vapor app, or you could start, uh, you could have a Postgres database or a SQLite database. I mean, it's the amount of things that you can do with Vapor is, I th- would assume, sort of reaching more or less, maybe not parity, but getting pretty up there in the amount of things that you can do um, in the backend space as compared to uh, something more traditional like Node or uh, you know, using PHP or whatever. So, uh, obviously like I'm going to gravitate towards talking about that because that's what I know. And that's what Mm -hmm. I've actually used. I'm definitely no web developer, uh, sort of in the traditional sense, but I am dabbling in, you know, using paper and stuff. And it's super cool to me to be able to be able to write my own, uh, rest API for my own apps. If I needed to, it's really not hard. So, uh, and there's a pretty good community and good tutorials and some good books on, um, vapor if you wanted to get into that. And the best part for me is I'm still writing Swift and I don't have to jump into the land of, uh, JavaScript, which I have very, very little experience with. So it's kind of a win for me all around in that sense. 
Yeah, and it's still the next code. You can still use breakpoints. You can still exactly. print to the console. Like you can pause it and say, like, hold on, I don't know what's going on here, and step through one by line by line. Uh, like all of that works, but any language under the sun can be a backend. Like right. I started learning on Perl, which is a language from ooh way back then. There's a language called Java, which is not JavaScript; it's just Java, um, which is not at all similar, but it is ubiquitous and you'll probably have learned about it if you take any sort of computer class in college um computer science class not computer class computer classes for like word i don't know why those still exist um so uh there's that you can go ahead and write it in c or in go or in rust and like all sorts of different high performance languages um like really anything is possible once you kind of uh see it from that point of view um there's one more type of like web developer, and that's called a full stack developer, and that is someone who can write their own backend and their own front end, and they can wrap everything up with a nice bow and sell you the client a complete package, um, and that's a that's a nice offering when when you want it, right? Um, you don't have to hire multiple developers, and they can kind of take care of everything themselves, um, and when you hear those terms like front end, back end, full stack. It's always referring to like the web side of things, and it yeah. doesn't really apply to native. Like you can, if you want, say front end is the UI and back end is the database and the core data and stuff like that. Uh, or you're a full stack if you can write an entire app yourself, I guess. Um, uh, like <laughs> that feels I, I super weird. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really apply. Um, yeah. And then generally, once you kind of do native development, which uh, I find to be a tad harder than just like the normal type of backend stuff. It's a, definitely a different skill set. Like you need to learn about databases and all that, but it's totally possible to yeah. get into it with minimal uh, like hurdles um, to get used to doing like something in Vapor. Once you know you know all the Swift already, you might not know about what Postgres is or MySQL or uh, DynamoDB. Like there's all sorts of different possibilities in terms of databases. Um, but guess what? You can write to a file if you are super lazy about it and don't expect high <laughs> yeah. traffic. Like, right. it's not the end of the world. And uh, another um, perk of, you know, writing your, your backend code in Swift is there's no log4j. So <laughs> no vulnerabilities of that. No, I saw that Tim, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Condon. Yep. Con, uh, had tweeted something like that about you know, in in, in complete snark. He wasn't being mean. To oh the it, no, totally. It was and he awesome, clarified though. right afterwards. A lot of people did not know he clarified afterwards. They were like, "That was mean to him." And I felt I felt bad for him because he didn't. Didn't he totally have like a winking emoji or something? Yeah, he had like a winking emoji or something. But it was funny, and he kind of made that case like, "Oh well, we don't have that problem in Swift." You know, if you're writing with Vapor, which I thought was kind of funny and and uh, timely, but. Um, there's a lot to get into with, with web development for sure. Whether you're doing it, <clears throat> excuse me, with JavaScript, Swift, you're just doing HTML and CSS with a static site or something and, you know, throwing it on GitHub pages or whatever. But, um, like it or not, we as iOS developers are often reliant on some sort of, of, you know, web development, uh, probably mostly the backend. So uh, most apps are going to, well, maybe not most apps, but many apps are going to communicate with some sort of REST API to get information or post information or whatever. So 
um, I think it's definitely worth learning a little bit about and just knowing how things work on that end of the back end. Um, just so that if anything, you can understand it, or if you're interested in kind of getting into it, then that you could kind of explore that as well. Uh, no matter, you know, which option you take, of course, I'd, I'd say, you know, go swift all the way and use vapor, but <laughs> that's like very, very, very biased. So, um, but the web is, is ubiquitous, so we can't really, uh, get on without it, uh, most of the time. Yeah, and and some clarification, even though Vapor is relatively new, it is used in production. Like there are yep. several companies that use a full Vapor stack, um, whether it's built on Heroku or AWS, it doesn't really matter at that point. It's your own code. Um, and that is, it's like battle tested um, and ready to go. So the only missing things are the things that are not there. But whatever is there is totally good to go and uh, ready to be used and scalable and fast and performant. So uh, now that async await is kind of part of the picture, it's a lot less intimidating to get into. Um, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. less features and promises to deal with in order to get some performant code. Um, so you just async await at all all the lines and everything works. Um, and like codables built in, like it's it's really yep. easy to just jump in and get started. The harder part is dealing with like I don't understand what a database is and stuff like that, and that's where like having some experience with web development can be useful because like it transfers readily. Like once you know how to use Postgres or MongoDB or MySQL or DynamoDB or any of these things in one language, guess what? To use it in another language, it's very very similar. Um, yeah. So it's it's transferable knowledge definitely. One last uh, thing I wanted to bring up is if you are not necessarily a server aficionado and you don't necessarily know what Linux is and the terminal and all that is not like your wheelhouse, there are alternatives that um, I like heartily recommend, especially if you have a little extra space in your business budget to like run your app. Uh, you can rent with Mac Stadium a Mac Mini it becomes mm -hmm. your Mac mini. Like no one else is using this machine. Um, or you can send them your existing, like you can buy a Mac mini yourself and send it to them and rent the space and electricity and internet connection basically. Um, and that gives you a Mac that is in a data center, which means that's going to have a static IP. You can hook up DNS to it. So you have your website name.com that points to your Mac mini. Um, and you can have your website, but also you can run all of your services on it. Um, so you can run your vapor, uh, stuff. You can experiment with different things. You can run Xcode on there, uh, to run something else on there to like compile your code nightly and stuff like that. Um, so it's a good, uh, extra computer from a development point of view that the best thing is you don't have to use terminal to access. You can just open up screen sharing, type in, uh, mywebsite.com. Totally enter in your username and password and you are in it's just like a, a window on your screen that you can manipulate and use as if you were there um and since it's at a data center if you have a decent download speed uh connection then you can use it as if it were in the room next to you it's just not in front of you directly um and that is a great way to kind of get started with this kind of stuff without being super intimidated by it you can run most other web stuff like directly on that machine. If you did not want to use Vapor, you wanted to use uh, Nginx and uh, Node or uh, 
Python or whatever. Like it's a few steps of installation to get them on there. But then from that point forward, you log into your screen sharing thing and you can uh, run the command there locally and you don't have to understand how SSH works and all that. Um, And that can be a significantly smaller barrier to entry if you don't necessarily have the time to dive all the way in uh, to learning how AWS works and stuff like that. The super neat thing about this is you will never have the occasion to kind of overspend the account because you're paying a flat rate to have the machine. Like that machine is yours to use as long as you keep paying for it. And then if you stop, I guess they they delete your stuff. Um, I don't really know what happens. Um, (laughs) I'm sure there's a grace period. Uh, But until that point, like you can do whatever you want on there. Um, and that's that means that you won't suddenly get a charge from Amazon for fifteen thousand dollars because your script ran in an infinite loop and ate into right. all your resources that you did forgot to provision properly because it's really really complicated to get set up properly. So um, it's a good training wheels <laughs> if if you're just like getting started in all this and you can get more efficient afterwards. Um, but until then, it's a it's a good little test machine. Uh, that you can have available especially if like your home internet ain't that great um and you're afraid to like point a, a point dns to yeah it. and your home internet costs more than hosting something like dedicated um to that like i pay 54 dollars for my mac mini at mac stadium um and i sent it to them like it's my computer they will send it back to me if i stop paying i guess um this is the second one i've sent over there and it's really old and like i'm very afraid to touch it at this point i should probably send a new one eventually um but it's it's provided a huge amount of leeway for me to learn about all this sort of stuff and i've had one like it for basically since mac minis existed so as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's another topic you'd like for us to dig into. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.